And we will um, go ahead and get started, and I'll pray for us this morning. Father, I'm just uh, thankful for this morning, God. Thankful that um, you've brought us here this morning, God, that we can come and hear your word and uh, worship you this morning, God. So I pray that you'd prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to hear from you, God, um, as we move forward uh, in the book of Mark, God. I pray your spirit would come into our hearts and begin to move in us, God. And I pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. So we Mark chapter 10. Uh, and before I get into that, I want to tell a story, uh, a story that I heard, and I think it's fitting today. And, and this, the, the, so, so to set the story up, the date's August 22nd, 2002. Um, and in a valley in Afghanistan, there's 22 special operations troops uh, going through a valley uh, in Afghanistan. And what they have is what the government would call, they just capture what the government calls a high-value target. So they're moving through this valley, uh, and what they also have above them is two A-10 Warthog airplanes. Now, these A-10 Warthog airplanes, they're named the Warthog because they're bulky, slow-moving, they're, they're low-flying, typically. And what they do is they provide cover for, for troops on the ground. So they're, they fly low and slow so that when troops get in trouble, they have air cover over the ground, these A-10 Warthogs. And so there's two circling... Uh, the 22 special operations troops in this valley. Now, the problem is, is, is it's a cloudy night. And so usually when troops are moving and they have that, air, that kind of air cover, they can see the planes and they feel safe. They, they, they see the planes above and they feel safe. They're like, they're up there. Tonight's cloudy and they couldn't see the planes. Above the clouds were the two A-10 warthogs and they could only see each other. They couldn't see the troops. It was a clear night above the clouds. They could see the stars were out. Um, it was beautiful, but they couldn't see the troops. And so there was one, one pilot, his, his call sign was Johnny Bravo, which is the coolest call sign you could possibly have. Um, so Johnny Bravo, he, he, you know, they have, they're in radio contact. This is 2002. This is less than a year from September 11th, the reason we went to Afghanistan as the United States. And so this is less than a year. Technology is different back then, but they can hear over the radio that the troops just feel uneasy, he, he can just feel that something's like, they just don't feel as safe. So he wanted to go down below the clouds and just see what's going on for himself um, and let them see him. So he starts to go down, starts to dive down below the clouds. And as he's diving below the clouds, he hears this thing. This is the first time Johnny Bravo will hear this um, in a real life situation. He's heard it in practice missions all the time, but this is the first time he'll hear this in, in real life mission. What he hears is, from, his, from the troops on the ground, say troops in contact, troops in contact. And what that means is that they're being fired upon from the enemy. So as he's diving down just to check, see what's going on, he knows that his, the men that he serves with are down there being fired upon from the enemy. So he goes down into the valley and, and it's crazy. There, there's, he can see lights, they have tracers. So some bullets have lights on them so you can see where shots are coming from because he tracers going back and forth on the ground and it, it's chaos down there. And, and he picks out where he thinks the enemy fire is coming from. And the problem is, is back then, they didn't have ground-hugging radar. He couldn't see. He just knew he was in a valley. And what he had was a map that was left from the Russians when they tried to invade Afghanistan. So he didn't have radar. He didn't know, you know, what was dark. It was cloudy. He couldn't see. He didn't know. But what he could figure out, he did some quick math in his head, that he has four seconds before he has to pull up and before he hits a mountain. Four seconds. And so what he does is, is in quick, as quick as he can, he does the math, figures out four seconds, finds the fire, and he begins shooting at the enemy. And he counts one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000, pulls up and turns around and does it again. Goes down one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000. And on the second turn, he pulls up. He doesn't hear anything from the radio. He doesn't know what's, what's going on anymore, but he hears 
good words from this. They say good hits, good hits. And that means he's, he's hitting the enemy. So he keeps going. He does multiple runs of this. He runs out of ammo. So he goes up to his, his wingman, the other, the other pilot, and says, you've got to get down there. You've got to help him. But the, the other pilot's unsure. Like he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on down there. He hasn't seen it yet. He's still above the clouds. He doesn't know what the valley looks like. All he has is these old Russian maps. And so Johnny says, I'll go down with you. And so they both fly down and they're, they're in the valley. They're flying. And Johnny Bravo is, is three feet wing to wing from this other pilot showing him. He's, the, Johnny Bravo's counting one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, four, 1,000 with other pilots firing. And they both pull up together and they do that multiple times. And that day, 22 American soldiers went home safe. Zero American casualties. Johnny Bravo was considered a hero. And, and I, hear, I heard that story and I think like, how are, how, how are men like this made? Like, like that is pretty amazing that he would put his own life on the line, possibly crashing into a mountain, not just once, not twice, but multiple times. And then doing it again, even when he didn't have to, when it was the other person's job to do it, he was out of ammunition, but he went down again, three feet wing to wing, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, four, 1,000. How are men like this made? And when, when, when Johnny Bravo was asked, why did you do that? He gave the same answer many before him gave. And that answer is, because I know they do the same for me. I know they do the same for me. Heroes like Johnny Bravo aren't born, they're made. They're made out of this belief that they will do the same for me. But see, in Christianity, we don't have that. We don't have, they'll do the same for me. What we have is something even better. And I respect our armed forces and I respect the military, but we have something better than they, they, I know, I believe they'll do the same for me. We have this idea that Christ has done that for me. Not that he would or he'd be willing to, but he did. That he did. And so we have something better. And today we're going to look at a part of the story that will show us how we can be made in that same kind of person as Johnny Bravo, or even more so, how we can be made into someone who um, would be willing to give up our life and to put our life aside for someone else. Not because we know they do, or we believe they do the same for us, because we know Christ has done the same, or has already done it for us. So we'll be in Mark chapter 10. We'll pick it up in verse 32. And it says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do this for us, whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit on your right hand and on your left in, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism of which I am to be baptized? And they said to him, We are able. 
And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and sit at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant of James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, but their great ones exercise, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That final phrase there is the first thing I want to focus on. That final phrase is the reason why the gospel is good news. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. It sums up the reason Jesus had to die. So we can ask this question, why did Jesus come to die? And one of my favorite authors, John Piper, wrote a book called 52 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And this is one of them. We're going to look at one of them today, but this verse has so much packed into it. Jesus came to be a substitutionary sacrifice for us. We, we can look at that, that little preposition, the word for, came not to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. That word for many. In Greek, it's the word anti or anti. And so we can think of like opposite of, right? Anti, opposite of, instead of. You ever go to like an Italian restaurant, it's like antipasta? You're like, well, that's so weird that they would call it. That's instead of pasta, something instead of pasta. That word there is instead of, in place of pasta, substitute of pasta. But in this case, we're not talking about pasta or food. We're talking about Jesus gave his life as a ransom instead of the many, and instead of, in, in lieu of, in, uh, substituting himself. That's where we have this idea, this theological idea in Christianity called substitutionary atonement, where Jesus traded places with us. And that word ransom, an English word, we, in English, we don't use the word ransom anymore except for the idea of kidnapping or the movie with uh, um, Mel Gibson. Thank you, Joe. I was getting there. I was thinking Passion of the Christ. Who's that guy? Uh, Mel Gibson. We don't think of the word ransom or use it, but here it's this idea to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner, to purchase, to, to purchase and it's this huge sacrificial payment you make to buy this slave, to buy this prisoner. It matched the value of that prisoner, of that slave. They paid the debt of the slave in prison in order to pronounce his or her freedom. So that idea of ransom is to pay a price that's equal to the value of the slave or the prisoner to pronounce his or her freedom. Jesus purchased our freedom with his life. And that's why he came to die, to be the ransom for many, to purchase us with his life. But here's the thing. That answers why Jesus came to die, but why did Jesus have to die? Like, couldn't God just forgive us and declare us free? Like, he's, he's all powerful, right? I mean, like, the same God who spoke light into existence, couldn't he just speak forgiveness into our lives? The same God who, who created the sun and the moon out of nothing, couldn't he just say, you're forgiven? But see, the beginning of the answer to that question is Jesus didn't have to die despite God's love. He had to die because of God's love. And it had to be this way 
Because an all life changing love is a substitutionary sacrifice. We think about it. We know this in our, in our, in our culture, in our own lives. If you love a person whose life is all put together, someone whose life is doing well, it's going well, it's really easy to love that person. There's not many of them. But if you have a friend who's just like, life's going well, it's so easy to love them. If you, if you know people like that, like just surround yourself with people like that. Because it's so easy, it's nice. When someone's life is put together, it's easy. But there are other people, when you try and love someone who has needs, someone who's in trouble or being persecuted or emotionally wounded, it's going to cost you if you're going to love them. It's going to cost you a lot. You can't love them without taking a hit yourself. A a transfer of some sort has to take place. Somehow their troubles, their problems have to be given to you. It has to transfer over to you. And we know that. We know that for some somehow if this person who's emotionally drained is going to get better, you have to become emotionally drained to give them and fill them up. That's the way love works. That's the way relationships work. There has to be a substitutionary sacrifice if true love is going to be life-changing. An emotionally damaged person, a friend, the only way they're going to fill up is if you start to be emptied and drained. Some of your fullness is going to have to transfer to them. The only way to love them is through substitutionary sacrifice. All real, life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. There's a, a series of books that I like, and I might get in trouble for this, um, but I like, I like Harry Potter. Uh, I think it's a fun book. I don't think... Um, I think you need to be careful reading you know, books like that, but I think it's a fun series. Um, but there's this part in there about, uh, if you, has anyone ever read Harry Potter? Is that like a thing? Ever seen the movies? So I'm gonna speak to two people here, which is perfect. Um, that's mostly what I feel like I do all the time anyway. Uh, the first, so in the first book of the series, there's this evil guy, his name's uh, Lord Voldemort, I'll say it. I don't think it's a big deal. But he tries to kill Harry, but he can't even touch him because of the love of his mother, of Lily Potter. When the Voldemort-possessed villain tries to lay hands on Harry, he experiences this agonizing pain. And, he, and, and Harry goes later on and goes to talk to his mentor, Dumbledore, and he asks him, why, why couldn't he touch me? And Dumbledore's reply is this. I want to read it because I don't mess it up. Dumbledore's reply is this, and, and I'm skipping some parts and kind of piecing some things together, but basically he said, your mother died to save you. Love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark, not a scar, no visible sign, but to have been loved so deeply will give us some protection forever. See, Dumbledore's statement is so moving and it's so true because he's tapping into something he doesn't even know. He's tapping into something he doesn't even believe. This idea that the sacrifice, that sacrifice is at the heart of true love. That giving something else, giving something up is at the center of love. And we know that, that anybody who's ever done anything or made any difference in our life, whether it's a parent, a teacher, a coach, has sacrificed his time and what he wanted to pour into you. We know that. We can feel that. Anyone who's ever poured into us has sacrificed in some way, stepped in, accepted some sort of hardship so that we would not get hit with whatever was coming our way. And that's what true love is. So it makes sense that a God who is more loving than you and I, than Lily Potter, would step in 
and pay the price and take on what was coming our way. It makes sense for God to have to do that. He couldn't just say you're forgiven because that's not how forgiveness works. That's not how love works. There has to be a sacrifice. And Jesus, God himself stepped in and said, I will be the sacrifice. I will do it. The penalty must be paid and it's costly and I'm going to step in and pay it myself and I'm going to die so you won't have to. The only way Jesus could redeem us, could ransom us, was to give his life up willingly. God created the world in an instant. It was a beautiful process. And he, and he redeemed us. He recreated the world on the cross. And it was a horrible process. It was a painful process. But it was beautiful. And that's how love works. Love that really changes things, that really transforms the world, always has a sacrifice at the heart. Jesus came to die to be a ransom, and he had to die because he loves us. But then you have John and James, and John and James, you know, this was the third time that Jesus actually predicted his death in Mark. He actually predicted in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. This is the first time Jesus said why he had to die. This is the first time he explained why he had to die, even though it's the third time he's predicted it. So James and John come up before he explains why, and, he's, and they say, uh, Jesus, we want to ask you a question. Before we ask you, we, wanna, we want you to just do whatever we ask. Whatever we ask you, we want you to just go ahead and tell us right now you're going to do it. Um, I've had similar conversations with Elium. It's like, I'm going to ask you something, but I, just, I don't want you to get mad. I just want you to do it, whatever it is. So things like that, like that idea. I've had that kind of conversation with my dad before. Uh, my parents, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something before I even say it. I just want to get out there that I want what I'm going to say or I'm going to ask or I just don't want you to get upset about it. And never starts, that's not a good start to any sort of conversation. So they ask this idea. They want to sit on the left hand and the right hand of, of Jesus in his glory. And see, the problem is they thought Jesus' glory would be on his throne, but the way they didn't realize was that his glory would be on the cross and, and those positions were already given to two criminals. We're already prepared because Jesus in his glory on his right hand and on his left hand would sit two criminals, not James and John. But despite that, Jesus in his patience says, what do you ask for? He doesn't say, I can't do that. He doesn't say, I'm not going to agree to this. He just says, what do you ask for? And they tell him and he, he explains that he asked them if they're going, you know, if they could uh, go through with the cup drink from the cup that he's going to have to drink from and have the baptism he's going to baptism from. And so the word cup and drinking from the word cup is always in the Old Testament synonymous with this idea of God's wrath. Um, and so he's asking, can you take on this wrath, this pain that's coming? Can you be baptized in the suffering that I'm going to be baptized in? And James and John are like, yeah, we can do that. And Jesus' answer is like, yo, you will do that, but it's not going to be my right hand or left hand. That's not for me to give, but you will drink from the cup and you will be baptized. You are going to suffer in pain. We know that that happens, that James was martyred and that John was exiled to Patmos and where he wrote the book of Revelation. So we know that they did drink from the cup. They were baptized in the suffering that Jesus would take. But Jesus goes on, he talks some more and And in verses 42, and it says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. 
See, the Christian life isn't about getting wealth and influence like the world does it. It's not about getting wealth and influence by, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and attaining certain positions in politics or in, uh, in, in at work, but it's about serving others. And that's how Christians, he's not saying that you shouldn't gain influence, but he's talking about you shouldn't lord it over people. The way you do it's different. See, we are to serve others and to put others first. But the reason we can do that is because we know that Jesus has done it for us. And so when Jesus has sacrificed for us and, and made himself a slave, a servant for, and for our sake, then we can turn around and we're free to do that. We're free. The idea of, of paying the ransom is to set free. See, before Christ, we're in bondage. We're enslaved to ourselves. We serve ourselves. We always serve ourselves. We serve our own interest. And really, we can't do anything but serve our own interest. But Jesus set us free from that. And although ourselves will continue to call out to us and, and want us to serve our own interests, we don't have to keep answering that call anymore. We're free to serve others. We're free to make much of others. We're free to put other people's interests ahead of our own. And we should, because that's how, we'll, that's how Christians will gain influence. That's how Christians will change the world. It's not by a, a becoming president necessarily. It's not by doing any of these things, but it is by serving others. It's by laying your life down for others because Christ did it for you. And that looks a million different ways. And I've talked about this before, but this is going to be so important for us as the Grove as we continue because our, it's all wrapped up into our mission statement as a church. And our mission statement as a church is this, and we changed it just recently. So this is, ta-da, the unveiling of it. But the Grove exists to see God glorified and enjoyed through gospel-saturated worship, community, service, and, and mission or multiplication. Service is going to be huge. Service is one of the core values here. And it's something we are at, as Christians, we serve. We, we are meant to lay our lives down for them. We're meant to love people. And it looks a lot of different things. And so, so I think the first way, we'll start with concentric circles. So we'll start inward and kind of go out. Is, is it your family? If you're a husband or you're, or you're a wife and you have a spouse, this is where you start serving people. Men, if you really want to be a man, like the, the mark of a man isn't your job. It's not how strong you are. It's not how much you can bench press. It's not how much you can lift. It's not how fast you can run a race. The mark of a man is him laying his own life down, putting others' interest before his own self-interest. That's the mark of manhood because the mark of manhood is how much do you love people other than yourselves? How much do you love your wife more than yourself? How much do you love your kids more than yourself? How much do you love your neighbors more than yourself? But the same calls on the wife is to serve others and to serve your spouse and to serve your children. And, and, and so um, you start with your spouse. You, you come in. Men, you come in. You, you don't uh, buy into gender stereotypes. You do the dishes. You clean the table. You play with the kids. You put the kids to, be, to bed. Like, we love sports in our culture. And here's the sport I want us to play. I like sports too. I'm not good at them. Uh, Slamo, I'm getting pretty good at though. You want to play some Slamo later? I'll, I was like, I, we, uh, me and Wayne, we were, uh, we won three games in a row. I was feeling really good about that, really good about that. But then it took, we got tired out of the fourth game. That's what it was. It wasn't because someone beat us and they were better than us. We just got tired. They, they weren't playing three games in a row. We were. Um, but so I like sports. But here's the sport we can all partake in: outdo one another with honor, like outserve. Like think about this. You go home today. Just think about how your life would be 
if you and your spouse just tried to outserve one another? Like, would that be so bad? Do you really think that would be so exhausting? If you just tried to outserve the person next to you, you just tried to outdo the person next to you. There's a sport, there's a competition. You want to get in competition? I'm, I don't advocate playing a lot of games with your spouse because it never turns out good in my house. Um, I'll, I'll try and win and Margie just gets mad and quits. Um, that's why we can't play two-player Ticket to Ride anymore um, just because there's some tension there. But this is a sport you can't, this is a competition you, competition you can enter into. Outserve one another. Serving your kids. Man, that's hard. It could be so much easier for me just to clean up after them, to do, to do stuff myself. But to serve your kids is to spend time with your kids, to get down on the floor, to play with your kids, to, let, to, to wait around and let them clean up so they can become, you know, functioning adults someday. And you go out from there and serve your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know those people who live on your street or in your, you know, we live in a rural town, so like in your five-mile radius or whatever. Um, get to know the people who are near you and your neighbors. Get to know the people at work. Don't just go to work. Keep your head down at work and go home. Like, you serve people at work. You serve your bosses. You serve your coworkers. Even if it means you taking on some more work sometimes, just like, hey, if you're all caught up, like, hey, what can I do to help you? I had to do that last week, and I was so mad that I did it because it was an offhand comment. And this is me confessing and repenting, by the way. It was an offhand comment of, hey, how can I, you know, what can I do to help you? And she gave me something to help her, and six and a half hours later, I was still working on this thing. It wasn't working. It was like 5.15 in the afternoon. I was like, can we do this on Tuesday? Because it was Labor Day Monday. She said, yeah. So I finally finished on Tuesday. But um, it's funny that this next week I would have to preach on serving because it's in there because I was mad at myself for even asking. I didn't have to ask, how can I help you? If I wouldn't have done that, she just would have to do it on her own. Um, But six and a half hours later and another day, I got it done. You serve others at work. At church, we serve. We serve at church. And uh, we've been blessed here at the Grove. We've had a lot of people helping lately. Uh, Joe was here late last night helping me hang some lights and the projector and hide the cord as best we could. And um, people come, people have signed up for like so many dates in advance to help clean and to help do things. Um, So we've been blessed to have a lot of people help serve at the church. And uh, Suze has taken on social media stuff and Jared's back there. I could see that I forgot to give him the charger. He had to race around and find that. He did a really good job. You guys probably didn't know that was happening, but it happened. The computer was about to die, but Jared figured it out. Um, people bring food and children's church. We've been blessed to have a lot of service here. Um, and it needs to continue because here's the thing, guys. Here's, he, he, here's a byproduct of service and selfless serving. I don't say this often because I think, I, don't, I'm not, I, I do not like the prosperity gospel, this idea that you just follow God and everything's gonna be okay. But what I can say, if you live a life of service, you'll be much happier. I don't use the H word much because I, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap, but you will just be happier if you live your life for other people. It's just the way this works. You will just live your life happier. This past week, we had, well, the county lost a young boy and at his funeral yesterday, everyone said the same stories about how much he served others, how much Ben served others, how much he he, he worked hard at the prom and he just wanted to serve his teachers and serve his principal and serve his fellow classmates and he just wanted to, to serve other people. 
And other people, everyone else talked about how you always had to smile. I don't think those two are a coincidence. I think as you serve people, as you put other people's first, other, people's, other people above your own, other people's interests above your own, you're just a happier person because you're not so focused on yourself. Because when, when my, if, I, if I put Margie's interest above my own, when Margie fails to serve me, I'm not, it's not a personal attack on me because I'm not even worried about that anyway. So when she comes home, or when I come home and, and you know, I, I have to jump right into cleaning or doing something else and I'm tired because something's not done. Like, I'm not mad at Margie. I'm not offended that things aren't done or the kids aren't ready or whatever. I just enter in. I start serving other people. I'm just a happier person doing things like that. When it's not, when everything's about you, you're easily angered. When everything is about you, when everyone around you is created by God to serve you, you're easily offended because it doesn't happen very often. But when you switch that and things are about other people and things are about God and his glory and serving other people, you're a much nicer person. You're happier. You have more joy. So you serve your family, your kids, your neighbors, your church, and your city, your town, your county. At the Grove, one of the things we want to do is we really want to serve, serve the county. We want to serve the people we live around. So we have some ideas that we're talking about um, that we want to, to kind of enter into possibly over the next couple months. So be on the lookout for that. But we want to serve the city. So next Saturday is Spruce Up, Spruce Pine. Um, if it doesn't rain, it'll be Saturday. So if you don't have, if you don't have plans next Saturday, September 16th, um, come downtown. I think it's like 9 a.m. You can come downtown. If you have a weeder, bring it. If you have something like that, bring it. And just help clean up our downtown our church lives downtown. Our building lives. So it'd be nice for us to help out um, downtown. So that's the next. So we serve, we serve, we serve. And that's how we gain influence. It's not by taking power, but giving over ourselves. Because that's how we're going to change society. If we want crime rates in Mitchell County to drop, we want drug use to drop, we want education to be championed, we want people's lives to be better in our county. It's going to come from the church, from us in this room, entering in and serving others. And the cool thing is everyone's looking for this. Like everyone wants to do something like this. I bet each of us here have in some way have felt at some point in our life, I wish I was just part of something bigger than myself. That's why a lot of guys play fantasy football. I don't get it, but I do know that you just want to be part of something bigger than yourself. You want to win something. You want to fight and you want to fight for something. You want to play and do these, these things. Women probably do other things. I don't know. But we all have this idea, like, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. And God has given it to you. Just join the game and play. Don't sit on the bench. Don't be a ref and call fouls. Get in the game, score some points, and have some fun. So this is about, it's about serving. It's about getting in to what God has called you to be. This is the grand epic that God's created. You're not saved just to feel good about yourself and sit in the chairs, but to get active, to get moving, to get serving, to get living your life for other people. I'm going to close with one danger from what I'm saying today, and then we'll pray. Uh, The danger is, is that if you just serve, I know I said that it'll happen, but it's a byproduct. Serving will make you happy. But if you serve to be happy, you're not really serving. You're still being self, selfish. You're saying, I'm only gonna do this for this person so I'll get what I want. A lot of people do that. 
but that's not what we're talking about. The, the, the motivation behind our serving is not, I want my wife to love me more, to be more affectionate. It's not, I want my kids. It's not even, I want my kids to grow up so they don't embarrass me in public. But my motivation for serving is that Jesus himself served and he's my God and I want to follow him and I will serve to, to delight in him and to make him pleased, not ourselves. Jesus is our example. We look to Jesus to see how we can selflessly serve others. We look at Jesus' sacrifice. And if we understand the cross, we're blasted out of this world of just of, of selfless, of selfishness and into to, to humility and to, to selflessness. You don't need to help people to feel good about yourself. Many people like you, but you want to help people to resemble the one who did so much for you, to bring him delight. Only the gospel can give us the motivation to unselfish living that doesn't rob us of the benefits of unselfish living, even as you enact it, even as you live it. So my prayer would be that we would see Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the fact that he spent his life paying a ransom for us to set us free from ourselves, set us free from a lot of things, set us free from the power of this world and a lot of things. But one of the things that is free from us from ourselves, set us free from the fact, like set us free from just serving ourselves all the time. And he's given us the freedom to serve others. And if we believe the gospel, and we look to the gospel for motivation, it'll set us free. The tr- you said the truth will set you free. And so it frees us up. So my prayer is that you would see what Christ did on the cross and, and want to just delight or have him delight in your service. Have, have, want to resemble and look like Christ. And so you'll enter into the game. You'll serve others. You'll look for ways to, make, to put other people's interests above your own. Set aside your own interest for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel and for Christ. So I'll, um, we'll close with a couple songs and then I'll come back up and we'll pray um, before we close. So let's pray. Father, I just, uh, just come before you, Lord, just thankful that you saw fit to send your son as a ransom uh, to set us free, God. We don't have to be so consumed with ourself anymore, God, but we can be uh, passionate about you and about others, God. I pray today and this week, you were just really speaking to our hearts, Lord, where can we serve? Lord, where can we make much of others in our life, Lord? Where can we show people your love and your grace by serving them, serving our town and our community, Lord, to make this a better place, a more uh, suitable place, Lord, for everyone. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And I pray that you would continue to move forward, Lord, continue to press on and use us in a mighty way. And I pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.